0: Churches can be really messy places. You've probably figured that out by now. But let me tell you a story about what happened in Port Orchard, Washington. There was an assistant high school football coach named Joe Kennedy who became known as the praying coach because after football games, he would go out by himself to the 50-yard line, kneel down, and say a short prayer. After a while, some of the players on his team asked him if they could join him praying at midfield. And then opponents, like people on the other team, started asking, could they pray with him? Well, you kind of probably know where this goes. Somebody complained and eventually the school superintendent, a man named Aaron Lavelle, had to tell Coach Kennedy that he had to stop praying at midfield. Well, the coach wasn't having it. He said, no, I'm going to keep on doing it. And that's what he did. Then in 2015, Aaron Lavelle uh, had to put him on administrative leave. He, he, he put him on administrative leave because he wouldn't stop praying, even though he told them he had to. Well, the coach felt like this was the wrong uh, thing to do. So he sued the school district for violating his right to worship. His freedom of worship as found in the First Amendment. And uh, what happened is that that case went to the court system. It bounced around the court system for a number of years until 2022 when the Supreme Court heard it and ruled 6-3 that the coach had the right to pray at midfield after a football game. Now, here's where it gets messy. Coach Joe Kennedy and Superintendent Aaron Lavelle, they went to the same church. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine how awkward that would be? Like you see the guy that that you fired, you put on administrative leave because he wouldn't follow simple instructions in his job. But if you're the coach, think you see the guy who put you on administrative leave because you were praying. I mean, how does a church member do that to another church member? I mean, churches can be really messy places. And all that story makes me think of one of my favorite Proverbs is found in Proverbs 14, 4. It says, when there are no oxen, the stall is clean. But when there is a strong bull, there is abundant produce. <laughs> I mean, you get it, right? I mean, he, he, he's saying if you want a clean stall, there's an easy way to do that. And that is just don't put any oxen in it. And it will be clean and tidy and everything will just be perfect. But you're not going to have a, an abundant harvest. You're not going to have a lot of crops that come in. But you see, if you want a lot of crops, then you got to have a strong bull, then you got to have oxen, and then you don't get a clean stall. You get a really messy stall. So you get to choose. Do you want a clean stall and no harvest, or do you want a big harvest and a messy, dirty stall? It's true of churches, too, right? Like, if you want a church that's not messy, you can do that. It'll be really small. Not much will be happening. Not many lives will be changed. But you can have a really clean, organized, well-functioning, non-messy church. Or you can have a church that's thriving and God's Spirit is bringing people in. And in that case, it's going to be really messy. The success and the mess, they go together in church life. It almost seems like the bigger the success, the bigger the mess that's exactly what we find in Acts chapter 6. They've got a mess on their hands. But in order to understand the mess they find themselves in, you've got to start back in Acts chapter 1, specifically verse 8. Jesus said to the disciples after he had been resurrected, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jerusalem, that's where all the disciples were at that time. And Judea is the surrounding countryside. Samaria is the place where their arch enemies lived. And then the ends of the earth, well, that's self-explanatory. That includes people like us. And when the disciples heard that, they obeyed Jesus. And they begin to share that message with people. And the story of Acts is how the church grew. For example, look at these verses in the book of Acts. We'll just look at the parts in yellow. About 3,000 were added to that number that day, and they added to the number daily, and a couple chapters later, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, and we keep seeing this throughout the whole book of Acts as it explains how the church grew to include more and more people, because they added to their number, and the word of the Lord spread, and they grew daily in the number of people who were attending, But it's not just that the church was growing numerically. I mean, it was. More and more people were coming, but it's the kind of people that were coming. It wasn't more of the same people. In fact, the church started seeing a a, a very diverse group of people come to faith in Jesus. If you just go through Acts and and look at all the places people are from or all the ethnicities that were included in the church, this is just a partial list. Samaritans, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, and the list just goes on and on. So here's what you got. You got a growing church, more and more people are coming to, to faith in Jesus and starting to attend these churches. And they're made up of all different kinds of people. People from different ethnicities, people who speak different languages, who have different customs, different preferences, different ways of doing things. They're all part of this new church. That's the context. For Acts chapter six, verse one. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, when when God was blessing the church and bringing more people and different kinds of people into it, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained. The first three chapters of Acts, it's pretty smooth sailing. Things are going really well. And then starting in chapter four, the church starts facing challenges. The first challenge came from outside the church. You might remember when we were going through Acts 4 that the the religious authorities were persecuting, harassing, jailing the disciples. So the first threat's from outside the church, but then in Acts 5, it switches, and the threat is inside the church. You might remember that the threat in Acts 5 was moral hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the church. They lied to God. They tried to pretend that they were something that they weren't. And In response... It says that God struck them dead. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we've got a new threat. But this time, it's also from inside the church. It's not moral hypocrisy. Instead, it's complaining. Now, I'm sure you're shocked that anyone in church would complain. But the Bible says it, so it must be true, right? And so the first thing we see is that a successful church is going to create a church made up of a lot of messy people. And, and if your church isn't made up of messy people, that's a problem. That's a really bad sign. Something has gone wrong. Now, every organization, whether it's a church or whatever it is, they, they all have things they need to improve on. There's always room to complain. There's always people who are complaining about something, Right? Two Saturdays ago, Mizzou played Kansas State, and it was a super exciting game. Sitting there in the stands, watching them play the 15th-ranked Wildcats, and it's a close game back and forth. And they kick a 61-yard field goal to walk off with a win. Students pour on the field, everybody's happy, unless you went to Power Mizzou which is like the big message board for all the true fans, hang out online. And if you went there, what you heard was a lot of complaining. Now, here's my thing. Unhappy people who are determined that no matter what happens in life, they refuse to be happy, must hang out on that message board, right? Because they are convinced that no matter what, they are going to complain. They're not going to be happy. Well, I mean... You and I get it, right? There's no perfect football game. There's no perfect football team. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect government. There's no perfect business. There's always going to be problems, and therefore there's always going to be room to complain. But I want you to think about this Jerusalem church that people were complaining in. And I just want you to think, who were their leaders? Well, the leaders were the 12 disciples. The the leaders were the apostles, The leaders were the ones that Jesus handpicked and then invested his life in. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty solid leadership team for a church, and yet people complain. But we think that when we complain, it's about our circumstances, you know, an overbearing boss, maybe health problems, traffic, uh, customer service that's bad. We think that our complaining is due to things out here. The Bible always says that our complaining is about things in here. But what's interesting to me is that it's the success that brought the mass, right? It's the success that, that caused the problems. That's how it always goes. The bigger the success, oftentimes the bigger the mass. Sometimes people will be talking to them in the community, and they'll say, did you know so-and-so goes to your church? And the way they say it, you know they're saying that in a way to discredit the church. Like, so-and-so is a big jerk, and it proves that your church isn't what you think it is. And I always want to respond, well, isn't that exactly the place so-and-so should be, right? Don't we want big jerks to go to church? I don't know. Seems like we do. But just think with me for a second. Let's say a negative 10 on our little scale here. Negative 10 is like the Antichrist. Horrible, horrible person. And positive 10 is just like Jesus. Well, people, let's just say God brings somebody who's like a negative 7, okay? Okay. A negative seven, they're like, well, so-and-so goes to your church. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you know, I agree that he's a jerk, but you should have seen how big a jerk he was before he came, right? (laughs) Like, he was a negative nine, and now he's a negative seven. And maybe in three years, it'll be a negative four. And then maybe a zero at some point in his life. I See, that's good news for you and me. Because if God accepts everyone that comes in, if if God invites everyone to come in to learn to follow Jesus wherever they're at, if God says everyone is welcome, then that means that there's room for you and me here. We get to bring our mess. We get to come as is. Well, that puts us back in uh, 6.1. We're gonna spend a lot of time in this verse. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained. Okay, who are they complaining about? Well, they complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. See, here's our, our, our second point that we see is that success creates the messiness of diversity. Remember we saw in Acts 6 that that the people who were coming were were growing, the number of people were growing, and people from different kinds of places with different customs and different habits and different preferences, they were all coming together. And that's messy. And we're beginning to see what they complained about. We're we're beginning to see what the conflict was, what the problem was. And the problem existed because there were different kinds of people coming. There were these Hellenistic Jews and these Hebraic Jews. Well, who are they, and why would they have a conflict? Well, let's start with Hellenistic Jews. In the fourth century B.C., uh, Alexander the Great conquered the known world. And when he conquered the known world, he spread Greek culture with him. And so Hellenism just means to identify with Greek culture. So the Hellenistic Jews were people who lived outside of Jerusalem. They, They spoke Greek. They thought Greek. They they live far away from the temple. That's who the Hellenistic Jews were. And you contrast them to the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews, they lived in Jerusalem or near it. They worshiped in the temple. They spoke Aramaic. They thought like a, a Hebrew. So you have this clash of cultures happening. They bring their own ethnicities, their own background, their own customs with them into the church because this rivalry existed outside the church, but then they, become faith, they have faith in Jesus and they come to, the, to church and they look and there's somebody they really disagree with. There's someone that they don't like. There's someone who has different preferences that does life differently than they do. They speak a different language, all of it. And what happens is these two groups look down on one another. So the Hebraic Jews look at the Hellenistic Jews and they go, well, you guys are sellouts. You've been unfaithful. And the the Hellenistic Jews, for their part, they look at the Hebraic Jews and say, you're a bunch of backward religious fundamentalists. And yet we go to the same church. What are we going to do? Well, back to Acts 6.1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the success breeds the mass. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because, now here's why, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And this is our next point. That success creates the messiness of needy people. See, if a church is growing, if more people are coming, if God's spirit is working, if, if, if God's working in a powerful way inside of a church, then more people come and those people are going to have needs. Maybe psychological needs, emotional needs, physical needs, you know, tangible needs, financial needs, spiritual needs. They're gonna come with needs. And and if you've got a church that doesn't have a lot of needy people in it, that's a bad sign. Now, in this instance in Acts 6, the, the needy people were the widows. It was really hard to be a widow in the first century. It was hard to provide for yourself. And this daily distribution of food That was kind of like an ancient version of Meals on Wheels. So so what would happen is that the Jewish authorities, they would provide meals to the widows that were part of their faith. But then some of these widows started coming to faith in Jesus, and when they became Christians, the Jewish authorities cut them off. So now the church was stepping up and stepping into that to help meet that need. Kind of like our care ministry steps in and helps meet people's needs physical, tangible needs. See, a lot of this was just due to misunderstanding. And that's our next point, is that success creates the messiness of misunderstanding. See, these Hellenistic Jews, they said, hey guys, you're overlooking our widows. You're, you're trying to meet people's needs, but you're overlooking ours. You're, you're, not, you're not treating them well. You're ignoring them. I mean, they, they probably had a point They had at least reason to be suspicious because the 12 apostles that are leading this church, they're all Hebraic Jews. So so they looked and they go, you don't know us, you don't get us, and you're overlooking us. So I want to show you something, the difference between intent and impact. You hear that in the culture. I want to show it to you in this story. So intent is motivation. And impact is result. So a lot of times these things go together. I intend to hurt you and I accomplish my objective. You, you are hurt. But sometimes these are separate, separated. They, they, they're not connected. Uh, for example, uh, you could get hurt by someone who never intended to hurt you. And, and that's what's happening in Acts 6. Because there's nothing in the story that makes you think that the Hebraic Jews were intentionally overlooking or mistreating the Hellenistic Jews' widows. There's nothing that makes you think that that was intentional, and yet it's what was actually happening. It was was real, whether they intended to or not. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, sinful people create sinful systems. And sometimes we need to do more than just change the heart and change our motive. We need to change the system. So what did they do? Well, we'll just keep going now. We're ready for verse two. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So in other words, we're gonna keep doing our same job. That's what the apostles said. Brothers and sisters, in other words, the people who have been hurt by this, the the larger community, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them. So we're gonna give them, the people you choose, the responsibility of running this whole program. And we're gonna give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, which is a miracle, right, that everybody was happy. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor. So you go through all these names, half of which I don't know how to pronounce. And they presented these men, you don't either, don't laugh at me. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So before we talk about what they did, I want to make sure we know what they didn't do. They didn't kick out the messy people who were complaining. Hey, you guys are a problem. You're a mess. We can't handle your mess. You're gone. They didn't shame them and, and banish them. And neither did they uh, handle the problem by, by, by saying, hey, look, what we're gonna do in the, in the face of diversity, of different kinds of people coming here, we're gonna start two different churches. We're gonna have the first church of the Hellenists and the first church of the Hebrews. So there, now we don't have a problem. We just separated you two, both of you into your corner. They didn't do that. Instead, they told the people who were affected by this, they said, look, you choose seven men full of spirit and wisdom. And then the, the people in charge turned over to them responsibility. The people in charge, the 12, they gave up power. You know how hard it is to find people who are willing to give up power? To relinquish authority? People who were the boss and now they've given power over to somebody else so they're not the boss anymore? That's really hard to find. So where do the 12 find the idea that they should give up power to this minority group? Well, They learned that from Jesus because that's what Jesus did. Look at Philippians 2. This is talking about Jesus being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So Jesus gave up his power. Jesus ruled over all things. Jesus ruled over all people. Jesus sat on the throne of the universe and he came down. He took off his robe. He took off his crown. He gave up power. And that was a model for the 12, but it's a model for you and me. Maybe there are places in our life where we need to willingly turn over power to someone else. Now, now, he lists all these names out, these seven names, the seven names of the the men they chose. Now, why list all the names out? Because they're all Greek. All the names of the seven men are Greek. The majority, the Hebrew believers, turned over to the Hellenist believers, all the power. They said, look, you run this program, not just for your group, but for all of us, for all the widows, the widows of the Hellenists and the widows of the Hebraic Jews, you run it. And and when they picked those men, they picked them based on their character. They, They said, make sure they're full of spirit and wisdom, spirit and wisdom. Now, why did you need both? If spiritual is to be spiritually minded and wisdom is to be wise of how the world works, why did you need both of those? I mean, think about what a food distribution program is. What does it require? Well, you get a list of names. You vet them to make sure the names are right. You figure out where do these widows live. You get somebody to make the food. You get somebody to deliver them. What's spiritual about that? Well, because in the Bible, never disconnects spiritual maturity from practical life. In fact, that's what a wise person is, is a person who knows how to navigate things in this world according to God's plan. So think about your job. Maybe you're a postman, or maybe you're a teacher, or maybe you work for the city, or maybe you're a lawyer, a doctor. I, I don't know. Maybe your job seems very practical, but God says it's also spiritual. That we never want to divide what the Bible holds together. But now we need to ask ourselves a question. And, and that's this. Will you embrace the mess that comes with success? Will you embrace the mess that comes with success? Because it's gonna be a messy place if we're gonna have an abundant harvest. But you and I have to be okay with that mess. So let's just run back through them. Diversity creates messy, messiness. I bet you right now sitting in one of these aisles uh, you, you are one of these rows, you have a parolee sitting next to a doctor, sitting next to a single mom, sitting next to, you know, I don't know, a banker? you got a progressive sitting next to a conservative, sitting next to a libertarian, sitting next to a person who's never voted in their life. You've got a single person sitting next to a married with kids, sitting next to a divorced with kids, sitting next to married, just newlyweds, no kids. You've got people of, of Gen Z sitting next to people who are boomers, maybe even sitting next to somebody in the silent generation. And all those people come with their baggage. All those people come with their preferences. All those people come with their needs. All those people come and together, and it's messy, right? I mean, just think about it. People come, and they have different preferences for, for music. They have different education levels there's so much different. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we sang a song in Spanish. So some people are probably sitting there going, I don't even know what this says. And other people are going, man, that's my first language. You see me. Just by singing that song, you show that you see me. So now we have to decide, am I willing to embrace the messiness that comes with diversity and put other people's needs above my own? Am I, do I want to go to a church? I know you're gonna say the right answer, but I want you to ask yourself, do you want to go to a church of people like you with your preferences and your background that look like you and talk like you and have the same education and the same income, or do you want to go to a church where there are people different than you? Now, I know you're gonna say different, but that means messy. It just comes with it. we, We saw before that need creates messiness. Right? So so we're gonna have people who come with lots of needs. It, probably you and me too. And, and then they're gonna have all kinds of needs, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial. What do you, can you do? What can you do to meet those needs? Like we have a whole ministry that is kind of like a prayer partner on steroids that comes along with people with needs and, and prays and listens well to them. We got a fix-it team that shows up at people's house and just kind of repairs things that need to be done because the person there can't do it for themselves. We have a whole uh, uh, agape ministry that takes people with disabilities and integrates them into the life of a church. That's one of the things a large church can do that smaller churches would probably love to do, but, but they can't do it. But if we want to say you belong here to people with disabilities, then we've got to figure out how do we come alongside and serve in an agape ministry so that they can feel like they belong here. We have people that have, uh, need meals delivered to them. There's, is there a way that you can help embrace this, the mess of success by helping meet someone's needs? Or what about misunderstanding? Because misunderstanding causes messiness. So there's going to be a lot of things here that because we're a growing church that we overlook, just like the disciples did. There's going to be things here that aren't as good as they could be. There are going to be things that we do wrong. Now, when that happens, when you deal with diversity here, when you deal with the messiness of people's needs, when people say things that they shouldn't have said, they're kind of honestly a little bit offensive, but are you willing to look and give them the benefit of the doubt? Are you willing to say, I assume good intentions? Or do you jump on everything and criticize and complain? I I don't know. Will you embrace the mess that comes with success? And then, of course, there's just the messiness of our own sin. And sin creates messiness. See, when we say you belong here, we really mean it. No matter where you're from, no matter what you did, You belong here if you want to learn a little bit more about Jesus and following him. Sometimes people have you belong here, like Mizzou has you belong here, homeowners associations I've seen with you belong here. Now you have to qualify for those. You have to be accepted. You have to have gone to Mizzou. You have to be able to afford a home in that subdivision to belong at that homeowners association. But guess what? Here you come as is. Here you come with all your brokenness. Here you belong here in your messiness. You know why that's good news to you and me? Because that means that I can bring my messiness. Because you see, if we want a clean stall, if we want a clean church without messiness, I can't be a part of it. And neither can you. So the good news is is that if we embrace the the, the mess that comes with success, there's a place here for us to be embraced as well. And then I wanna show you what happens. The last verse that we're going to look at, verse 7, so the word of God spread. Well, there it is again. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the the, the arguments and the complaining, in 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 the ethnic rivalry, in the middle of all that, God keeps growing that church. Because they wanted, they were willing to embrace the, 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 the mess of the success. And, and God wanted to keep growing it. He doesn't wait till it's all, it's all nice and neat and organized and everything's perfect. He just keeps bringing people to a church that's thriving, to a church where his spirit is. See, God wants to grow his church. And he wants to use us to do it. But we have to be willing to embrace the mess of success and to help meet those needs. Let's pray. Look, I don't want to be too cute, but would you just, in your heart right now, ask God to bless this mess. Father, I pray that you would bless the mess of this church, your church, the one you love, the one you care about, the one you died for, the one that you are growing to be more like you. Thank you, Jesus, that you accept us as is, and that you commission us to go to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and share with them the good news that Jesus accepts us, he loves us in our messiness, and that he will change our lives. Jesus, I thank you for how much you love me and my mess. Thank you, Jesus, that you made room for all of us at the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may stand to receive God's blessing. May God open your heart so that you, along with all the saints, may know how wide and high and long and deep God's love is for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Sunday.